Welcome. You're listening to sermons and talks from Providence Church in Brisbane. We believe that God speaks to us through His Word, the Bible. So we pray that as you listen, you'll be encouraged and challenged to love Jesus and live for Him. For more information about Providence Church, please visit our website, www.providencechurch.com. Father, we do uh, come before you and your Word now with humility, with a humble heart, praying that you'll speak to us, praying that we'll receive it well and and consider what it looks like to be uh, a people who know you and worship you and live for you. And so we do pray for that now, Lord. May may your spirit be at work, uh, especially as we consider what it looks like to be part of a world that has a a spiritual realm uh, as well and and thinking through how do we uh, honor you and obey you in this world that we live in. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, A little bit about myself. When I was five years old, I... I watched my first horror movie. I don't think my parents knew about it. I was with my older sisters, and they probably shouldn't have watched it either. Uh, but it was called Child's Play. Have you guys ever heard of that? Who has heard of Child's Play, the movie? It's a movie kids should not watch. Um, it's a movie about a doll named Chucky who's possessed by an evil spirit and wants to kill people. And uh, no matter how many times you try to kill Chucky, he doesn't die. It's terrifying. He gave me nightmares for all my childhood, uh, up until adulthood. Maybe even now, I still don't like dolls because of Chucky. And that's that was my that was me as a five-year-old kid. And around the same time, I also came across another film. It was the 1973 flick, The Exorcist. Who's heard of The Exorcist? Now, this is another film kids shouldn't watch. It's R-rated. I don't know how I got. I don't know why I watched these movies as a kid, um, but the 1973 Linda Blair original Exorcist, a little girl possessed by a demon, she vomits all this green pea soup up, she crawls along the walls and everything, it's scary. And it, what happens in this film, it, 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 the, the family calls a Catholic priest to come and exorcise her, exorcise an evil spirit out of another, a, another, a film a, a child should really not watch. Then I came another, across another movie. That's all. I'm all under. You know, I'm under ten years old. You know, watching these movies, um, written by Stephen King. A movie called It, right? Uh, about an evil spirit that haunts and kills little children in the form of Pennywise the clown. You guys know It, right? Like they made reboots of it and everything. Uh, again, for many years, I still do not like clowns. Terrify me. Now, I'm going to guess in a room this size and from the hands that that went up. Only 10% maybe of you like horror movies and will watch horror movies, right? Am I right? No, am I wrong? Right? I, I, the rest of you, if you had a choice, you wouldn't, you wouldn't vote for it on a movie night. Like, you'd probably avoid watching them. Why would you want to watch stuff like that, Mikey? What are you thinking? Why do you want to scare yourself? That's it, right? Why do we want to... Why? It, it's, it's scary. This stuff is scary. There's a reason why it's called the horror genre. And what fascinates me is that every culture in the world has a horror genre. They, they tell stories that are horror stories, that are ghost stories. They tell around the bonfire. And yet we live in 2022, right? We live in a postmodern world, which is science-based, a Western mindset taught uh, to believe that's all just, that's all just fiction, you know? Uh, stories about monsters to, to get little kids to behave themselves. But we still avoid horror movies, don't we? I think we still avoid uh, the occult and, and Ouija boards and all that because maybe that might be real. Oh, we don't want to watch horror movies because we ghosts, man, they might be real. And, and, and while many other non-Western cultures accept the reality of this stuff, 
I think we do ourselves a disservice when we actually ignore the spiritual realm. That's very much at work in our world. And so our question that we're really wrestling with today, how do we deal with this, uh, this stuff? How do we deal with the spiritual realm? Should we be fearful of spirits? Uh, demons? Uh, are our thoughts of the demonic world shaped by what Hollywood tells us, with The Exorcist and, and Chucky? How does the Bible, though, present us, present them to us, and how should we think about them? If you're new with us, welcome. This is the week we talk about demons. Straight up, let me, let me, let me be real with you. I think I, I, I believe in the supernatural realm. I'm a Christian. I believe that there are evil spirits in the world. I don't think they look like the girl from The Grudge or Pennywise a clown, but I do believe in God, and I believe in Satan. I believe in angels, and I believe in demons. The Bible speaks about them. A big chunk of the Bible speaks about the spiritual realm, so we can't ignore it, and we can't pretend it's not real if the Bible talks about it. And so let's go there. We're going to uh, look at chapter 5 of, of Mark because I think this is a good introduction to help us think about uh, evil spirits. And we want the Bible to shape what God thinks of demons and why it even matters to us. So chapter 5, that's where we're at. Uh, last week, we heard about how Jesus was on a boat, right? And he was on the Sea of Galilee. Uh, a, a ferocious storm uh, appeared and he, he stilled the storm with the word. And, and now we're here on the other side of the lake, of the sea, and uh, in a region called the Gerasenes. And this is gentile territory what i mean by that if you don't know is is that it's non-jewish territory so israel is where the, you know jewish people are he crosses the sea to go to the gerasenes which is where uh, non-jewish people are, the gentiles it's gentile territory now here's where the, the horror story starts right i imagine it's, it sounds something like this hey have you heard have you heard that there have been reports of wailing and screaming from the cemetery nearby people who have the the courage to investigate have said they've seen a man lurk, lurking around the tombs. They say he lives there with iron chains around his hands and feet, yet not bound, and the iron chains can't hold him down. At night, he screams and cries out, his voice wailing in the wind. But what's most odd are the voices they hear from him, different voices, a range of voices, but no witnesses can claim they've seen anyone else but him. Oh. Even as I tell that, I get shivers, right? Like, man, imagine that. Now, now, if you heard that, would you want to go anywhere near this place where this man is? It sounds freaky, right? Creepy. This man with an impure spirit. But that's precisely where we find ourselves, where Jesus goes to, this place where the garrisons are, where this man is. Now, we have to picture this in our minds. But there's a man that's cutting himself with stones out of his mind, probably not dressed because, because he's not in his right mind. And, and nearby, he's in the tombs, which means he's in a graveyard cemetery where, where dead people are. And nearby in the countryside, there's a hillside, and there, there are herds of pigs grazing there as well. So that's the, that's the scene. That's the setting. Jesus comes off the boat, and this demon-possessed man comes at him. Why are all those important details, though? Why is the setting important? We have to understand how the Jewish laws work, right? If you're a Jewish person, there's so much wrong with this picture. No Jewish person in their right mind would go here, right? First, there's a guy who's possessed by an evil, unclean spirit who has unnatural strength. No one can bind him. No one can subdue him. This man has a reputation. People know about him. But not only does he have an unclean spirit with him, where is he residing? In the tombs. In Jewish law, you can find this in Numbers chapter 19 if you're taking notes, in the Bible, you'll discover that anyone who touches the dead are unclean. 
don't go near the dead. Don't touch them. If you do, you have to go through this process of ceremonial washing, you, or you remain unclean and you're removed from society. Don't go near the dead. What else? There are pigs around. What does that tell us? In Jewish law, Leviticus 11, you can look it up, pigs are unclean. Unclean animals. Don't eat them. Don't touch them. Don't even rear them as a farmer. Some of the laws um, written in, the, in, in Jewish laws later on, they talk about don't even rear pigs. Right? Don't eat them, don't touch them, don't even read them. They're unclean. They're there in our story. Where is Jesus? He's in Gentile territory. Who's going to herd and rear pigs? Gentiles will herd and rear pigs. Not Jews. Jesus, who is Jewish, is in an unclean place, surrounded by unclean animals, with this unclean man coming towards him. That's, that's scary. That's terrible. He's in enemy territory. He's not on home turf, right? How would you feel? You know, you're watching the horror movies, if you do watch horror movies, there are people who, are, who they enter the haunted houses and you're just like, why? Why are you doing that? That's, a, that's foolish. You're, you're, and they end up dead. And I told you so. Like, why would you do that? You don't want to mess with that stuff. Jesus goes to the haunted house. He goes to this place and he comes face to face with this. But step back and consider what's going on. The scene has been set for us to show that there are already demonic forces at play. Think about what he just experienced. He went onto the sea and a ferocious squall, a big storm came up to stop him from crossing the sea. Back in chapter 1, uh, and I'm going to keep coming back to this, one of the things that we hear in chapter 1 is Jesus comes to bring the message of what? The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe. That's his message. That's what he comes to earth to tell people. So again and again, we see Jesus facing opposition. A giant storm opposes him from traveling across the street. Now a, a man, a demon-possessed man who can break chains, an impure spirit that, that no human can... There's, there's opposition coming at him again. Yet Jesus comes at him without fear. And what happens? We see this demon-possessed man uh, come at Jesus. What? He goes 10 rounds, a few uppercuts, wrestles him, jujitsu. We don't see any of that, do we? What do we see? This impure spirit coming at Jesus and falling to his knees. Let's read what happens. Verse 6, I'll read it. When he saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and fell on his knees in front of him. He shouted at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? In God's name, don't torture me. For Jesus had said to him, Come out of this man, you impure spirit. Then Jesus asked him, What is your name? My name is Legion, he replied, for we are many. And he begged Jesus again and again not to send them out of the area. A large herd of pigs was feeding on the nearby hillside. The demons begged Jesus, send us among the pigs, allow us to go into them. He gave them permission. And the impure spirits came out and went into the pigs. The herd, about 2,000 in number, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and were drowned. See, what happens is that the one we all would be afraid of, the man becomes the one afraid. The impure spirit is the one who becomes afraid. He's on his knees before Jesus. He's not just one either, right? We hear these legion. He's on his knees before Jesus. And we read, what is, he's begging for mercy. Don't torture me. Don't send me out. Send me to the pigs. At least do that. The demons are begging for this. They're afraid of Jesus. This, this, this demon called legion, which is, which is many demons, Right? That idea is uh, in ancient Rome, battalions of over 5,000 soldiers were called a legion of soldiers. That's how big they were, thousands and thousands. So you've got an arm, army of demons living in this man. They've met Jesus. They've got supernatural strength. You think, 
bets are on that guy, you know, bets on the, the army of demons against one guy, right? But Jesus, all he does is say, come out of this man. He commands them. They, have, they, have, they can't stand even before him. They tremble in utter fear. The tables have turned. And you see, every instance, when, when Jesus does an exorcism, all he does is command the Spirit to leave. A few words at most. Now, I went looking. I spent a lot of time on the internet looking at exorcisms and demons this week. Um, and it is creepy, some of the stuff you read, like some things that are based on true stories. But, but the Catholic Church, particularly are the ones involved with this sort of stuff, that, especially what movies are based around. It's what Catholics would do in exorcisms. Now, if you Google this stuff, the, there are manuals and rituals and prayers that the Catholic Church have written up that are given to priests that are trained to do this type of work, right, to do exorcisms. Uh, you can find in the manual called the Roman Ritual and the Rites of Exorcism. Now, uh, before you start, right, the, f- the first thing you need to do is you, you, you identify that this person doesn't have a mental illness and is a legit evil spirit. So you get psychiatrists to come, you get professionals. Uh, actually, if you, side note, uh, there's a guy called Richard Gallagher. He's a psychiatrist in, in America, and he actually gets called on a lot. I read some news articles about him. He gets called on a lot by the Catholic Church, and he, wasn't, he didn't believe in this stuff until after he started witnessing it for himself, like a man of science become... Anyways, now back to... Like, they come, and they, they assess that there's no mental illness, and, uh, and usually, you know, you, other things happen, like, like voices that, that aren't their own or tongues that are being spoken. The exorcist... Um, then performs these rites and rituals, a series of statements and prayers, like a formula of, of prayers, along with actions like sprinkling holy water and laying hands and, and making the sign of the cross on the person as well as on themselves, uh, those sort of things. And, and even they involve relics. So they like a relic, which is like a, 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 an object that a, a saint has touched, and they use that in, in the, like the whole exercise. There's all, all these little things that they do, right? And now this is... Google research, okay? So take with grain of salt, but I haven't read the manual myself, uh, but there's all these things that they do, right? And I get it, right? The, I mean, every, use whatever weapon you can at your disposal, right? But at the same time, at the same time, after reading this, I'm not really convinced we need a manual. Are you? I'm not. Look at Jesus. He just rocks up and it's with a few words, spirit go away. Oh, spirit goes away. Mm. Uh, isn't, that, isn't that the power though we're meant to see here? We're meant to see who he is and the power he comes with, that even a legion of demons are trembling before him. Who is this man? That the winds and the waves obey him, that even demons submit and surrender before him. The demons know who this man is. They call him Jesus, the Son of the Most High God. See, in a, in a Gentile world of multiple gods, the Gentiles, the, this is the region they're living in, right? The multiple gods. The demons refer to Jesus not as just the Son of God, the Son of the Most High God, the one true God, the God Almighty, above all other spiritual powers. It's a recognition that Jesus is far more powerful than they. They recognize Jesus for who he is. So Jesus calls them out and they ask, they, they beg for his permission. Don't send us out of this region. Send us into something else. And the pigs instead, at least. Why? Why would you want? I don't know. Why did they go to pigs? We don't know. But we're told uh, that they they go into pigs and the pigs freak out and they jump off a cliff and that's it. They're dead. Two thousand pigs died that day. It's tragic. That's a lot of pigs. That's a lot of. <laughs> I hate puns. That's a lot of bacon down the drain. It really is. And when I say bacon, I mean both pigs and the amount of money that this that the, the, the owners would have lost. Two thousand pigs. 
That's a lot of bacon, but it's terrifying to imagine. I don't know if you can imagine. I have 2,000 dead animals floating in the water. It'd be quite the sight, wouldn't it? But what's even more shocking is to imagine that if that's how many pigs died, that's how many spirits had invaded this man's body. Oh, how tormenting would that be? The author doesn't want us to focus on the financial loss, right? The livelihood of these 2,000 pigs. There's no, there's no real mention of that, but the focus is on the redemption, redemption of this one human being, this Gentile man who is saved by Jesus. We're told that those who were herding the pigs saw this all happen. So they went off and they told everyone in town and in the countryside. The people came out to see Jesus. Verse 15, let's read it. When they came to Jesus, they saw the man who had been possessed by the legion of demons sitting there, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Last week, Jesus with his disciples were in a violent storm, right? And the storm was still dead at work. Everything was calm and stable. And the disciples were afraid. This time, a legion of demons is, is, is cast out of the man. This man is dressed in his right mind. Now everyone else is afraid. The, these stories are put side by side, and we can see that there's an emphasis here. This great man who can still a storm has the power to even have to, to command evil spirits. But but let's let's consider the reaction, right? Of the people. They've only ever seen this guy probably naked and cutting himself. Now he's dressed. For the first time in, in a long time, finally, and in his right mind. You'd think they'd be overjoyed, right? You'd think they'd be celebrating. It should lead them to faith in this man standing before them, but no, they're afraid. The people, they get this report, what happens? What happened to the pigs? And naturally, they're probably thinking, yeah, wow, this guy's pretty amazing, but he did just kill 2,000 of our pigs. Bring back the pigs, man. That was our food. This guy, this one guy, he's not worth 2,000 pigs. Let him suffer. Or they're probably thinking, this man, Jesus, is, is dangerous. I don't, I, don't, I don't really trust him. He's not one of us. Tell him to leave. So they pleaded, again, like they begged Jesus to lead their region. You know what's so sad? Jesus does. He leaves. They had the opportunity to put their faith in him, but instead they reject Jesus. They don't see him for who he is. Even the demons know who he is. But the people dismiss him. They're afraid of him. They don't want him around. Jesus gets back into his boat, and the guy who is no longer possessed begs, begs to go with him. There's a lot of begging and pleading happening in this, these few verses, aren't there? Jesus, verse 19, doesn't let him, says, Go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. Tell them how much the Lord has done for you, and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away. And, and, and began to tell the Decapolis how much Jesus has done for him and how Jesus had mercy on him. And all the people were amazed. Jesus called this man to do something greater, tell people about the goodness and greatness of Jesus, what the Lord has done for him, his mercy. And, and that's what he did. And when you've experienced such grace, when you've experienced such mercy, when you've had the demons cast out of you, when you've received salvation for your soul, isn't it such great news that you'd want to tell everyone about it? We're not telling people about how we're, 
we're saved though. We're not just telling people about how we were once possessed and now we're not possessed. We're telling people about the one, our Lord Jesus, and what he has done. That's what he's telling. That's what, uh, that's what Jesus has told him to go and tell people. Now, I want us to consider a few things, okay? Now, that's the story. I want us to consider a few things after unpacking all of that. I want us to consider demons and Satan. I want us to consider Jesus, his role. And I want us to think about us. Demons, Jesus, us. Some Christians, firstly, have an unhealthy obsession with demons. They attribute everything bad to demons. Oh, you disagree with me? It must be the work of a demon. Oh, you watch Harry Potter. You know, that's the devil's work. You know that, right? Oh, you sneezed and got sick? COVID demon. It's excessive, almost, right? I'm using extreme cases, right? But we can't just blame everything on the devil. The devil made me do it. Some Christians want to do that. We want to absolve ourselves of responsibilities and shift the blame. But we all have to admit we all have a part to play. There is evil in our hearts as well. There is sin. So the Bible calls sin, where we, where we, where we uh, reject and dismiss God. The devil didn't force your hand. If you are a Christian, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. He didn't take over your body to do evil with your, with your actions, with your mouth to spit slander and hate. Sin exists. We have to take responsibility for our sin as well. On the other end of uh, the extremes, others don't even think about Satan. Others don't even think about demonic forces when they go through life as Christians. They believe in God, yes, but demons are irrelevant. Irrelevant to my everyday. And, and you know, and, and and this is what we see in our world, right? Non-believers, people who don't go to church, there is no God. There's no supernatural world. There's no demonic forces, and that has just infiltrated the church as well. Now, these two extremes exist. So some take it too far, uh, but we each extreme doesn't help. We do need to be aware, don't we? Prayerful, prepared, knowing that there is a supernatural realm, and sometimes, most of the time, even. The supernatural and the natural overlap more than we think. The devil does have influence in our world. He does tempt us and puts us in positions of temptation around us to sin. You know, it, it could be that the, the, the excitement of, of what wealth could give you, the promises of what wealth could give you, it could look like how popularity will help you. Look, it could look like what beauty could do for you. It could look like what sex and drugs and drinks and pleasure can offer you. He paints the picture for us that we see all around us. On our phones, in media, what the world says the good life looks like. A life without God. And we forget the goodness and greatness of Jesus. It's a slow drift, isn't it, friends? A taste, a bite, a little bit more. And we find ourselves far away from the gospel of Christ. See, Ephesians 2, I don't have this on the screen, so I'm just going to read it to you. It says this, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, that's Satan, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Satan is at work in the world. 1 Peter 5 verse 8 says this, Be alert and sober-minded. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Satan is at work in the world. The disobedience against God, that's, what, that is, that's his job. His job is to lie to us and to deceive us and to lead us away from worshipping God. There's a supernatural realm, and it's at what? Even in these four walls. The temptation to switch off, to not want to worship Jesus, 
to not want to read our Bibles, that influence. And too often, right, we want to make Satan and the evil forces look like those spooky, creepy ghost stories that we hear from others or, or the movies that we watch. But we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice, right? Because if we didn't recognize that, he's actually more involved than we think. We do live in the comfortable West. We're not burning incest to spirits, inviting spirits into our lives. Some people, my dad did that all his life. But that's not what it looks like in our general society for many of us here today. Instead, we live in a, in a world where, where we're tempted by money and power and status and busyness. Everything is offered to us on a platter that distract us and lead us away from worshipping God. Do you see what I mean? The natural and supernatural is actually overlapping more than we think. Satan doesn't even have to try that hard because our secular society promotes a lifestyle that is devoid of God. Look around. There's an invisible war happening where the natural and the supernatural is at play, distracting us and forgetting that God offers all of the comfort we need, the security and the freedom that we're looking for in this life. The sad truth in this story, the demons, they, they want to stay in this region. Why? It's, it's perhaps a region where we see Satan at work a lot more amongst the Gentiles. And legion is present in this man. Yes, we see, we see a, a demonic force at work in a very explicit way. But where is Satan at work in this story? The people have heard a miracle, yet they would rather the pigs than Jesus. They would rather uh, perhaps the, 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 the financial success that comes from pigs rather than Jesus. They reject Jesus and they tell him to leave. Think about that. We see God at work in every day, don't we? We see God at work in the natural all the time. We say, God did this in my life. God did that. Why do we expect Satan to not also work through the natural things we see in the everyday as well? Why do we always attribute Satan and evil spirits to what we see in the horror movies? things moving on their own or you know, voices at night, whatever that might be that we think. Maybe it's actually in the natural realm more than we think. There's an invisible wall. We need to be on our guard. We need to flee from temptation. Yet the final word for the Christian is this, sin nor Satan has power over us any longer because of Jesus. You see, Jesus, have you ever, have you ever uh, seen that image on the internet where, I've probably seen it on billboards even, like there's that image of Jesus and Satan Arm wrestling? Have you guys ever seen that? And, and, and it looks like they're in the sky. There's forces of evil, forces of good, and it's so theologically incorrect, okay? No matter how cool the image might seem, because Jesus doesn't need to wrestle with Satan. The battle is over before it even begins. Satan and his army would shudder before Jesus. Satan and his demons have no power against him. They tremble at his name. They throw themselves at the feet of Jesus, and they beg him to have mercy. Our King, our Lord, our Savior, he has come, and he comes with authority and power. And when we think about the gospel, we think about his cross, we think about his uh, death and his resurrection. He dies for our sin. He defeats Satan there. And he, he, he's, he's raised again in three days to defeat death itself, the, the greatest fear that we all face. And then you go to the book of Revelation in your Bibles and it talks about the end times. And you'll read this picture of how Jesus throws Satan into a lake of fire and sulfur and Jesus reigns triumph triumphantly for eternity. Do we believe Jesus is that powerful? Do we believe he's defeated sin and Satan and death itself so that we can have confidence in him? In his spirit at work in us to fight sin, to fight temptation, to know that he releases us from our inner demons, the torment in our souls. 
Or are we like this man in the story? Physically alive, but spiritually dead. Come to Jesus. See his power. See his great power. See that even the ones that we are afraid of, demons and all that sort of stuff, well, even they are afraid of him. That's the power he comes with. Now, what about us? While it's easy to get distracted by the whole demon possession that's happening in this story, that's not quite the big picture that Mark, the gospel of Mark, wants us to get, is it? It's the power of Jesus who saves this man. It's Jesus who says, go and tell. Go and tell your people what the Lord has done for you, how you've received mercy. Do you know that what he has done for you? Do you believe he's powerful and has authority? Do you believe he's a king worthy of our obedience and allegiance? Here's the thing. People saw his power. They could see a man healed, exercised of a legion of demons, 2,000 pigs dead in the water. They feared him. They feared his power. They didn't want to lose any more pigs. They didn't want their lives to be interrupted, their lifestyles even to have to change. They know he's powerful, yes, but no thank you. With power and authority, it means we have to call him Lord and Savior, don't we? And if he's Lord and Savior, that means he, it, it, it means he has the right to rule our lives. Yes, he's powerful, but to get the people here, they don't want that. Is that you here today? I think we can, if we know Jesus and we, and we read about him in the Bible, we can admit, we should all admit that he's powerful, isn't he? He can calm the storm, exercise the legion of demons, he, he'll die for the sin of humanity through his sacrifice. He's powerful. But you're afraid of that. Because that means you have to submit to his rule and authority, which you might not be prepared to do in this stage of life. Instead, you'd rather reduce Jesus to merely an instrument for your salvation. I'll just take the parts of Jesus that suit my lifestyle. Yes, some of us are afraid of ghost stories and demons and exorcisms, but some of us are more afraid of Jesus and his power. Because with that, it means he demands, it might mean that he demands your life, your pigs, your career, your success, your goals, your comfort. And that scares you a lot more than ghost stories. Don't be afraid. Jesus rules with power for our good. He rules with power for God's glory. And that's what the man gets in the story, not the townspeople. The man sees him with great power, but sees him as good. He's willing. He wants to follow Jesus. He begs to follow Jesus. When he experiences the power of Jesus, he didn't want to do anything else but tell everyone about him. Because yes, Jesus is powerful and great, but he's also personal and good. And so your faith in him and submission to him, let me encourage you, if you are that afraid of Jesus and afraid of his rule over your life, let me encourage you, Jesus is worth it. Get to know his greatness and his goodness. And if you are here today and you're following Jesus, you call yourself a Christian and he is Lord over your life, you call him King, keep remembering the story of how he's rescued you. Keep remembering and telling that story of how he saved you. Think through the mercies he's given you and what he's done. Consider how much more he wants to do for you. He can give peace to your restless heart. He can save you from your insecurities, your anxieties and worries, your inner demons that haunt you every day, the trauma that you might feel, the struggles that you can't like, feeling abandoned and alone, the sense of self-worth, never feeling good enough, that you're not pretty or attractive enough or smart enough or rich enough. Jesus can rescue you from those insecurities, from those anxieties, from those 
in a sense, inner demons. And he can bring all of that, you can bring all of that before him. But most importantly, the story he wants us to share is how he's rescued you on the cross and from the clutches of sin on our hearts. That you have the Spirit of God in you. That you and I have the power now not to give in to the devil's tricks or demonic influence. That we can genuinely repent and obey God unashamedly because of what Christ has done for you and I. Do you believe Jesus has rescued you? If so, like this man from the Gerasenes, go and tell people what the Lord has done for you and the mercy you received. So what do we do with all this? Well, tonight, you can now have the courage to go watch a horror movie, if you want. Just saying. I recommend the Conjuring series. But why? Because really, they're just jump scares in Hollywood, special camera effects. But really, because you have nothing to fear. Even if you were to encounter something in real life that was spooky or creepy, you have Jesus with you. The Holy Spirit lives in you. You have nothing to fear when the demons and spirits tremble before his name. You've got Jesus by your side. Jesus on your side, backing you. It's not even a fight. But still, while that might be true when it comes to the creepy, spooky stuff, let's be on our guard. Because the devil is prowling around us all the time. Let's be on our guard and let's use the weapons and, and armor God has given us. Ephesians 6 talks about the prayer, the word of God, the Bible. Dependence and trust in Jesus. The word of God is our sword of truth. And we have to remember, it's happening. The invisible war is all around us. Demons might be at work much closer than you think. It's not going to necessarily look like frothing from the mouth or levitating or hearing a deep man's voice from a young girl's body. That's scary. But it might look more like a slow drift. Is that what your life looks like right now? A slow drift away from Jesus. Be cautious, friends. We need to bring the gospel back to the center. Jesus as king over our lives. Be cautious of the invisible war around us. And lean into Jesus. Walk with him, the stronger one, the savior, remembering all he's done for us. Let's pray. Father, we do pray for your protection in this invisible war that surrounds us. Some of us might be skeptical still. Some of us might be unbelieving even. But we pray, Lord, that you'll, you'll show us that you're with us, that we can trust you and depend on you, that Jesus is powerful as we read about in the scriptures the word of God that we trust and know. Help us, Lord, to, to see that uh, the things around us sometimes are our sin, sometimes are the influence of, of the devil at work. I pray, Lord, that you'll help us to, to, to be wise, to, to tap into the spirit that's, that's in us, that you've given to us as a gift, the, the great counselor, the, the, our helper. Help us to, 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 have the, to, to, to find confidence and peace and courage in him, Lord, in the spirit, so that we can walk each day with you, leaning into Jesus, putting Jesus at the center of our lives, not drifting, but letting Jesus uh, be our Lord and be our King in all of life. We do pray for this, Lord, in his powerful name.